Well, it's again good to be here this evening, and we are thankful God has blessed us with another day. He has allowed us to be a part of a day that He has made. His great power and sovereignty has reigned over us during the course of this day, and uh, we are thankful for Him uh, protecting us from the various dangers that exist in this life. Of course, we are most thankful for the hope of eternal life that we all have if this life were to end. And as we know, we uh, are uncertain of one thing, when our Lord will be coming back. None of us know that, so we must always be ready, always be prepared. But I tell you, we are also uncertain when we can meet an untimely death. As much as we like to take our life into our hands or the control of our lives into our hands, we must be honest that we cannot maintain and sustain such control. Life, as well as death, can be very unpredictable. So we need to make sure that that which is most important, that which we have uh, as, as a possession of God and one that we can definitely decide is destiny, and that is our soul. We decide by obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so our endeavor throughout the week has been to hopefully to help us to see the importance of God's word, the severity of obedience and commitment to Christ, and I hope that has been accomplished. But we need never forget that life can end at a moment but eternity will last for eternity. And so we need to make sure that our souls are right with God, that which is permanent, that which is eternal. And, of course, these bodies that we have are temporary. And so let's always remember that. So I hope we've conducted ourselves in such a way this day that we have exemplified the great goodness and glory of our God. In Psalms 107, the psalmist would write, Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gather them out of the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in, solitary, uh, in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. They cried out unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the uh, right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. As we consider this psalm, this psalm of praise, we see that God is praised because of, once again, His goodness that we know is shed forth each and every day. He is also praised for His sovereignty. He is praised for His protection. And He is prayed for, praised rather, for redemption. And so we have many, many things to praise God for, as well as they did. See, when we consider the importance of offering God and giving God praise, we must realize that praise can only and must only be offered to God the way God has determined that it be offered. And so now as we consider these thoughts for this evening, I want us to think about evangelism. The lesson of our, the title of our lesson this evening is Thinking Evangelism. I'm going to say from the onset, you know, uh, I was at a lectureship uh, uh, last year down in Tampa. Uh, I and some other gospel preachers were speaking during this lectureship, and there's a brother named Antoine Holloway. I don't know if some of y'all know him, but uh, I've done lessons on. I mean, what preacher hasn't done lessons on evangelism, and probably more so, well, more than they can even remember. But he did a lesson on evangelism that particular morning that really stuck with me. I uh, many of the points that he made, I uh, probably hadn't considered them with. With, with the uh, uh, depthness that I needed to or with the severity that I needed to. But anyway, those points stuck with me. So I, I'm going to attribute uh, some of the underlying thoughts of this lesson to my brother uh, Antoine. I want to make sure he knows that, and that that's on camera. Because uh, he, 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 he expressed to me about my lesson, he's going to uh, look at my lesson, he's going to take some points from my lesson, tell me, give me the credit for him, Flip it and make it better. So uh, I don't know about the better part, but I am definitely going to give him the credit due uh, to these thoughts. And I believe they're very, very serious thoughts, things that we need to consider regarding the work of evangelism. And really this, this work of evangelism and, and our attitude toward evangelism really 
is an attitude that reflects our care for other people, our care for the will of God. And what we, in turn, have been recipients of, surely we would want to, to have others to be the recipients of God's uh, forgiving and enduring grace as well, much like we see here in Psalms 107. They praise God for these things, and we too must praise God for these things and help people see the importance of God being praised for them. Now, as we consider the thought, thinking evangelist, uh, evangelism, rather, or being evangelistic, uh, how do we think regarding evangelism? See, that, that's really important. You know, when we talk about evangelism, oftentimes we uh, talk about methodology, we talk about how it's to be done, we talk about processes by which it can be done, and, and what needs to be said when it's being done, and all those things are vitally important. But as we know, any action, any action that we do, especially regarding the Lord's work, the Lord's will, those actions begin in our heart. And really with the right heart and the right commitment level within our heart, we will do, we will do with great zeal what God commands us to do. And so any action that we do begins with the proper motive, the proper purpose, and that entails the proper attitude, our hearts. Now, when we consider this, again, if we were to ask, what do we think about evangelism? Do we think evangelistically? Most times when we are asked what the work of the church is, now I, I know many of us who studied our way out of many things, when you talk about the work of the church, we're going to get into a hermeneutical mindset. In other words, we're going to start talking about how authority is established and all the various things. Amen. Rightfully so. But normally we, 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 we think in those terms, or most, uh, some think in those terms, but most people will probably divide it into two things. And they'll say, well, when I think about the work of church, I think worship. And y'all please excuse my handwriting. I should have been at least a pharmacist with this handwriting, if not a doctor, because you sure wouldn't be able to read any of my prescriptions. Uh, but we also think about worship, but what about to seek and to save the lost? Well, as we consider these things, most of us consider these two thoughts as perhaps a multiple multiple question quiz or test because we'll say huh worshippers seeking to save the laws okay I choose this because that's what we do and dare we say if we're not careful that's all we do. So if given the choice, we'll choose that one. But may I present to you that we've not been given a choice? It's not a matter of A or B. It's a matter of doing all that God commands, even regarding all of these things and everything that encompasses them. You see, beloved, we have to be evangelistically minded if we're going to carry out the work of evangelism. And once again, that starts or begins in the heart. So do we respond by choosing letter A? You know, the Bible tells us in Psalms 23 and verse number 7, But as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. In other words, somebody can say to you something, but their actions indicate something else. Or they're thinking one way, but they're able to conceal their thoughts from you by perhaps concealing those thoughts by some action that they're really not sincere about or they really, really don't care about. And so we have to be careful not to fall into that category. As we think in our hearts, so we are. So if we think evangelistically and we're sincerely thinking evangelistically, we will be evangelistic. So now, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, our Lord, the one who died for us, we are recipients of his love for us if we are Christians. You think about Psalms 107. God was being praised for all these things, all these attributes, all these acts or actions that he had done for Israel, I believe, is within the context. But humanity as a whole has great cause to be thankful to God. 
God left not himself without witness, Paul says in Acts chapter 14, but gave us fruitful seasons and, and, and good things and gladness. So God has been good to every one of us. The most wretched person in the world, God provides the things that are essential and necessary for them to be sustained in this life. He gives them the opportunity to turn to him by providing those opportunities through the days that he gives. I'm sure we all step back and wonder from time to time, why has Jesus not come back? This place, this world, this life, these people are so wretched. Why has he not come back? Well, you know, the Bible tells us he's long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, we too were all the enemies of God at one time. And maybe we can say, well, we didn't do various degrees of sin. I never did that, or I never did this over here. Oh, I wouldn't dare think of doing that. But we were all enemies of God, separated from God by sin. Hence, God was long-suffering and merciful to us as well, as he is every day. Uh, now, just because we're Christians don't mean that God's mercy and long-suffering already all, all of a sudden is not needed by me anymore. Beloved, even as the children of God, we need God's long-suffering. Now, I don't, I don't know about y'all, but I know me. And I know I need it. Lord, have mercy do I need it. And so I thank God for it. So now, Jesus, the one who died for us, who's given us this redemption, given us this hope, says, says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power. All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Now, as a result of all power, all authority being given to me, notice our Lord gives commands. He gives a declarative, but notice how that he gives now an imperative. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Beloved, that's a very important verse. That's a very significant verse. Now, of course, that verse does have some limited aspects to it as we consider the context. Uh, the end of the age uh, uh, perhaps would have been the, the end of the Mosaic age altogether. He would be specifically with the apostles through that end of the age. But I also realize and I also know that the Lord has promised he will be with us as well. He will, be, he will never leave us nor forsake us. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake thee. So we have that promise even to us as set forth by the inspired Hebrew writer. Why is that important? Well, it's important for us to know that Jesus is and will be with us specifically in our lesson regarding the work of evangelism. Beloved, one of the things that I believe causes a hindrance to us being evangelistic is fear and apprehension. Sometimes we're fearful about saying the wrong thing. Sometimes we're just afraid to confront people and address people with the reality of their condition. Sometimes we're afraid of this or we're afraid of that. You, 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 you fill in the blank. And we believe that we're, we're all alone in this endeavor. Well, it's important for us to know that when we are carrying out the work of evangelism, that Jesus is with us. He is with us. Who would hope more that people will be saved than Jesus? So when we go out and we carry his word to those who, who are lost and in a desperate situation of their soul, knowing the uncertainty of life, we need to know that Jesus is with me when I'm doing it. Now, note, the Bible clearly tells us that the apostles were not alone. Now you think, just go back, if you will, and, uh, to the first century and remember the inspired record of history that we have regarding our brethren in the first century. First century Rome was a very dangerous and opinionated place. In other words, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, as noted in the Bible, could and did cost many their lives. And yet, with this present danger of death ever before them, they still were given the command to go take the word of life to those who will probably kill them as a result. But you know what? That probability, uh, Jesus did not say, don't go. Oh, no, no, that's too dangerous. Don't go. <coughs> Matter of fact, he told them to go. 
and I'm with you when you go. And yes, they're going to hate you like they hated me. Yes, some of you are going to be killed. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be in prison. You're going to be kicked out of the synagogues, but you go anyway. And you give them the word of life. You see, Jesus, in a great sense, was literally with them at that time. Look with me in Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 17. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation. Of course, this is in response. I tell you, let me start with verse 15. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sorely vexed, and oftentimes he falleth into the fire and often into the waters. Remember, the, uh, the disciples weren't able to, 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 to cast this out. And he says, And I brought him unto the disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus said and answered, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Now notice, Jesus was literally there at that time. He was there with the apostles, and in this particular instance, he responds to the Father, How long shall I be with you? Well, that time was somewhat limited. Jesus Christ was not always going to be with them in the literal sense. In Luke chapter 24, and verse number 44, the inspired Luke records these words regarding our Lord. Luke chapter 24 and verse 44. And let me start with verse 43 to pick up the context. He says, And there appeared unto an uh, angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed most earnestly with his, uh, in his sweat, as it were great drops of blood, Falling down, oh, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong, I'm, I'm in chapter 2. Uh, actually, my thought was going there, but let me turn to chapter 24. Sorry about that. In verse 43 of chapter 24, And he took it and did eat before them, and he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the sermons concerning me. In other words, Jesus Christ was with them, and all these things were fulfilled. How long will I be with you? Well, when those things are fulfilled, Jesus Christ was to depart from the earth and be with them in a physical sense, in a literal present sense, no longer. Jesus would, however, be with them as he promised. Jesus was with them even after he descended. Now remember, Jesus Christ would ascend into heaven, and before he would ascend, Luke tells us in the book of Acts, he gave commandments to those who were called his apostles. In other words, he gave commandments to the apostles before he ascended into heaven. And so they, as they watched him go up, were they to be affrighted, were they to be in great distress because Jesus, the Son of God, was no longer to be with them. Well, notice, notice... Jesus was with them even after he ascended. Look at Acts chapter 18, verses 9 through 11. Acts chapter 18, verses 9 through verse number 11. Acts 18, verses 9 through verse number 11. But when diverse were hardened, and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them. He departed from them, brethren, separated disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. So then from his body were brought unto the sick, handkerchiefs and aprons, and diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits were with them. See, Jesus, Jesus was with them. And so we see that through the miracles that uh, Paul would write, that showed that, look, Jesus said that he would be with them. As a matter of fact, in Mark chapter 16, verse 16 through 17, he stated that he would uh, provide miracles to all those who were carrying forth his will and carrying out his way. Jesus was with 
them all the time. You see, in Acts 18, it says, And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed and shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed and entered into a certain man's house named Justice. Again, speaking about Paul, one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And I simply bring up that verse to show that, look, God was with them even during these times of great affliction, great trial, the things that they had to say as they opposed those who opposed themselves. It is imperative to know that Jesus Christ would not depart from them, but he was always with them. As a matter of fact, with the Apostle Paul, remember Paul says, uh, Paul was very concerned. And when we think about Paul, oftentimes when we read Paul's uh, epistles and his letters, none of us get the idea that Paul could ever have had any apprehension about everything, uh, anything. But notice, then spake the Lord, uh, the Lord rather to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. The Lord was with Paul, and the Lord is with us. We need not fear. It's nothing we're to fear when we're carrying out the work of the Lord. We are not alone also. Remember, Jesus says in John chapter 17, verses 17 through 23, that he prayed that they would be one like he and the Father were one. And understand, not only though of them, rather, but those who believe in him by their word, that we all may be one as he is one and the Father is one, that we may be one in them. And so we are never alone. We are never alone when we're carrying out evangelism. And her, uh, like we already read Hebrews 13 and verse 5. What about in Deuteronomy 31 verse 6? Look at an Old Testament passage. What did God tell Moses? Be strong and of good courage. I'm sorry, uh, Joshua. Be strong and of good church, uh, courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, is, uh, he is he, it is he rather that doeth, that goeth rather with thee, he will not fail thee nor forsake thee. And of course, we find that being what the Hebrew writer is quoting. So, God is always with us when we are with him. We need not fear. You see, some people fear people. Some of us have a great fear of people. Now, that may have been experiences in our life that cause us to be somewhat apprehensive about people. Some of us are downright afraid of people. And you, you can see that all the time. But now, look at Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 8. What did God tell Jeremiah? And if you read the story of the prophet Jeremiah and him carrying out the Lord's will, you know that Jeremiah was not liked by the enemies of God. And Jeremiah went, believe it or not, to those, like we talked about the other night, who were the most religious. But in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, Be not afraid of their faces. For I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Now notice it's very interesting that he says, be not afraid of their faces. Don't, he didn't say don't be afraid of their actions. That could cause some fear as well. But be not afraid of their faces. Why does he say it that way? Well, have you ever been teaching or talking to somebody about the truth? Or I know we as preachers, we can preach the truth. And have you ever seen how people look at you sometimes? And now some people, are they're masters at it. Because they will look at you with those peering, intimidating looks and eyes. Trying to get you ever so silently to shut up. And they'll sit there in those, and man, you can, you can just feel it the way they're looking at you. But you know what? So, so. Who do we entrust ourselves to? You see, Jeremiah was told not to fear their faces. Look at chapter 42 and verse 11 as well. Chapter 42 and verse number 11. I can't help but think about Moses as you turn. Remember, when God told Moses to go and to speak to Pharaoh and to tell him to let his people go, who was Moses apprehensive about? When you look at it, it wasn't Pharaoh. Who was Moses afraid of? Who did he realize he was going to have to go talk? He was afraid of the Israelites. He, well, who shall I tell them? <laughs> it is that sent me. It was the Israelites that he was concerned about. It wasn't Pharaoh. You would think he would have been afraid of Pharaoh. No, it was his brethren. And see, that can be oftentimes the dangers. Those who are most close to us really can give us the greatest apprehension. In Jeremiah 42 and verse number 11, Be not afraid of the king of Babylon. 
of whom ye are afraid. Be not afraid of him, saith the Lord. For I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. Don't you be afraid, Jeremiah, the king of Babylon. I'm with you. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to protect you. Look at Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 6. Just looking at some Old Testament passages here. Some Old Testament prophets and men of God. How they were admonished not to be afraid. Not to be afraid. In Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse number 6. Note this prophet and what was told to him about the subject of fear. Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 6. And thou, son of man, be not afraid of them. Neither be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou dost dwell among scorpions, be not afraid of their works, nor be dismayed by their looks, though they be a rebellious house. And remember, Ezekiel was told they're not going to listen to you. But you go anyway. You see, we cannot afford to be afraid. Now, let's turn to the New Testament and look at what Jesus tells his apostles in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 28, notice what our Lord tells his apostles. In Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse number 28, our Lord says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both uh, soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very heads of your uh, hairs, whether of your head, are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are more of more value than many sparrows. And then now note this. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I deny before my Father which is in heaven. Note those two verses which we oftentimes speak of regarding confessing Christ before men. Amen. But note the context of them. Don't fear them that want to kill your body. Now you got to be willing to confess me. Even if it costs you your life. It is amazing sometimes how we make excuses for fear. We do. Well, they're not like me or he or she is not like others. They, they, they're just, you know, they're fearful. They've always been like that way from a, from a little child. You know, they just... And we, we excuse fear when it comes to doing the work of evangelism, doing the work of following Christ, following God, and proclaiming the goodness of God. And we excuse that away as if it is justifiable. As if it's okay. It's not okay to be fearful. Notice, the Bible never speaks of fear in a positive way, except it's the fear of God. We cannot fear men and it be okay. All the fearful, all the abominable, all those listed will be in Gehenna or the second death. All the fearful. Fear fear is not justifiable when it comes to these things. Now, some people fear people. Some people fear rejection. Some of us don't like to be rejected, and we fear being rejected. We oftentimes have personal uh, complexes to where rejection is something that will cause somebody to have great distress, great mental anguish, great uh, uh, emotional, uh, uh, being emotionally distraught because we fear being rejected of men. But now again, as Christians, we can't fear being rejected of men. We need to understand the fear is when I'm not accepted of him. That's the point. I need to be accepted of God. The rejection of men, if you preach the gospel of Christ, if you are evangelistic, you will be rejected. There's no way around it. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 5, think about one of the great heroes of the Bible. Now, we fear rejection from a person or two. 
But imagine being rejected by a whole generation. Moses, I'm sorry, Noah was one that was rejected by a whole generation and spared not the old world but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Imagine being rejected by a whole generation. Noah was rejected by a whole generation except for his family. Beloved, when we think about Jesus, he came to his own and his own <laughs> did not believe in him. We cannot afford to be afraid of rejection. You see, some people not only fear rejection, they fear their reputation. For some reason, guys, we have found it necessary to be conformable to this world. In other words, you see the world and those who profess to be somewhat religious. <coughs> have you ever noticed how a little bit of Christianity with them is tolerable? You know, you kind of have to blend in. You can't be too crazy now. You don't need to be a radical Christian. Okay, don't, don't take your Christianity too far. And nobody wants to be known as this crazy lunatic church of Christ who every time he turns around, he's trying to tell you about Jesus. And we say, you know what? We do have that reputation. Let's tone it down. And we start talking about things. We're for the right opportunity. Again, amen. We're for the right opportunity. You know, yeah, I heard them say some pretty blasphemous things, but I don't want to, you know, come across as being one who thinks I know it all or, or all these things. So I'm just going to wait and wait and wait and wait. Because, see, I don't want people to think that I'm that way. Many of our young people in school, because we're that way, we teach them to be that way. And so when it's time for them to stand up against their peers because they're young Christians, they're apprehensive. They do not want to put themselves out there and be known as that guy. And so we kind of hide our Christianity in the subtleties of normalcy. And we say, oh, well, you know. And then we begin to compromise our faith. Some people fear their reputation. Look at another servant of Christ in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 16. <clears throat> For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after me. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of the fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach, among, uh, preach him among the heathens immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went again into Arabia and returned again into Damascus. When God separated me, though God who separated me from my mother's womb, and he called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, I immediately. And now remember the reputation Paul had. Now you're talking about having an infamous reputation. You're talking about one who could go wherever he wanted to do, bind in prison whoever he wanted to, had letters of those who were in authority before him, and the apostle Paul, I'm sorry, not at, not at that time, Saul of Tarsus was a reputable one. You, that Saul is serious about Judaism. What a reputation he had, and he speaks about that reputation in other epistles. And now all of a sudden you have this reputation, one who's standing for Judaism, the tradition of the fathers, the law of Moses, great authority. And now you go following this lunatic of Nazareth and his people. Paul, 
think about that, man. That's, I'm going to give up a lot for that. I mean, I got this great reputation built up. And if I go to follow these people, they're going to think I'm crazy. Paul didn't weigh that out. Paul did what he was told, commanded. Because he knew who the Messiah, the promise that had been given to the fathers was. Paul said, I immediately <coughs> did it. See, reputation, brother. What can man really do for us better than what Christ has done? <coughs> Beloved, you know, this idea about radical Christianity, you know, uh, radical, radical Islam, radical, radical, radical. Guys, if, 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 if Christ did not come into this world and change the very course of this world and how men thought in this world, I don't know who did. Now, if somebody practiced the religion of God greater and more zealous than Christ, please tell me who it was. And note, Christ came not about that. Remember, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. We can't be concerned about things like that. We can't fear losing a reputation that should be to die with us when we're buried in baptism in the first place. Some fear confrontation. Confrontation is something that some people, I guess, revel in. <laughs> some people are very apprehensive about. But confrontation is going to be necessary if we're going to stand for the truth. <coughs> In Jude verse 3, and I know we all know this passage, but let's turn to it anyway. Jude verse 3. Beloved, to be a child of God, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we are going to have to face confrontation. You see, we fight in a war. It's not a war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. We are in a war. We are fighting for our very souls. Some people don't know they're in the war. Some people have succumbed to the other side, the enemy. But, beloved, we know we're in a war. And wars demand confrontation with its opponents. Now, notice in Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, the shared salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We have a responsibility to confront sin. And those who are in sin, again, not to argue and bicker and, and try to destroy people. And, well, you know, and, uh, But no, we have to be confrontational. That takes courage. It takes boldness to be confrontational. And beloved, we have been earnestly encouraged to do that. It's going to take that. We cannot be afraid of people. We cannot be afraid of rejection. We cannot be afraid of our reputations. And we most certainly cannot cannot be afraid of confrontation if we're going to serve Christ. If we're going to think evangelistically, these things cannot, cannot make us fearful. We have to overcome that. We have to overcome that. And we'll talk about that as we conclude. We must know the proper definition of evangelism. I believe that's another thing. Again, we cannot be fearful people. But we also don't have to, uh, have to know what evangelism is or what it is to evangelize. Now, a proper understanding of evangelism. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 17. You know, the word from a standpoint is the word yangalizo, of course, which means to preach. To preach. That's what the word entails. That's what it entails in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse 17, the apostle Paul tells us this very thing. What is the definition of evangelism or to evangelize? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made 
of none effect. You see, Paul was not sent to baptize. Paul was sent to preach. Baptism is the ultimate end of those who are obeying God. When I say ultimate end, the step of the gospel. When they are obeying God, they will be baptized. But beloved, we didn't come to baptize folks. And I'm going to tell you, oftentimes, in thinking along those lines, people will have a tendency to do whatever needs to be done to get folks in that water. They'll give them a false hope. They'll tell them false things. As I said earlier in the week, they will practice the you don't have to gospel. And they'll teach them that. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. You don't have to go here. You don't have to go there. You don't have to stop this. You don't have to start that. Oh, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, if you take away all the requirements, sure, people will do it. You better believe it. Do it in a heartbeat. Oh, that's all I got to do? Yeah. Oh, I ain't no problem with that. That's easy. Guys, is it, is it easy to be a Christian? Now, <laughs> it's doable, but is it easy? It's easy to live in sin. Ah, oh, no decision to make. Just do it. Do what you feel. But when you're faced with right and wrong on a daily basis, to stand for that right and to not respond in a way that you, when people, all the things about being a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, beloved, I'm here to tell you, if you're here and you're not a child of God, it's not easy. Don't let anybody tell you it's easy. It's a cakewalk. It's just, you know, just don't worry about it. No, it's not easy. But it's worth it. <laughs> the ease comes afterward. Oh, you won't have any trouble then. Right, we, we, can, we can show you by the Bible. That's true. Now, we can assure you of that. You won't have any problems later. You're going to have them here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses 6 through 10. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he that planteth is anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. What is our job? Our job is to plant, to water, to preach. Oftentimes we're not evangelistically minded because we have taken on more than God has given us. God didn't say, look, as you get out there and everybody you talk to that does not become a Christian, you have failed. You have failed. You have not done what you're supposed to do and you need it. No. Our job is not to make people obey the gospel, but simply to preach to them and show them the gospel and let them decide what they're going to do. We oftentimes take too much upon ourselves, and when we're overwhelmed with the responsibility, it's the normal tendency of people not to do anything. Think about when you're overwhelmed. I, ladies, no, no, no offense. No mean to pick. But I've seen ladies who are overwhelmed. And, and rightfully so. I mean, you got children, husband, you know how they can be. <laughs> so demanding, aren't they? You got this, you got that. You got everything that you're trying to do. And sometimes it becomes so overwhelming. <coughs> just, I don't do anything right now. And oftentimes when it comes to the gospel, we can be so overwhelmed. We don't do anything. You do remember the parable of the talent. You don't hide that talent thinking that your master is an austere man. He's a harsh man. I'm going to hide my talent and I'm going to make sure I don't mess up. And I don't want to do nothing wrong, so I'm going to just put my talent in. And then when it comes, I'll, I'll, I'll give him. Now think about it from a spiritual standpoint. I'm just going to hide myself. <coughs> I don't want to do anything wrong. You know, Jesus is a harsh man. And I better not mess up and cost somebody their eternal salvation. So what I'm going to do is when he returns, I'm going to give him me. Here I am, Lord. I kept everything you had, and I kept me. And what did Jesus say to that servant? You wicked and slothful servant. Jesus expects a return. And notice the responsibility that he's given us is not too much. Just preach the word. 
somebody plants, somebody waters. God has not given us the responsibility to make people Christians. Don't be apprehensive. Don't be overwhelmed by that. We have to know what it means. We as preachers. Man, and we've all done it. Hopefully we have. We sit there and, and we, this person has not obeyed the gospel. They just won't do it. We wonder what you're, what did I, what did I say? What didn't I say? You go home and you, you, your poor wife has to hear it. Well, babe, I should have did. I should have. Oh, I, I, you know, when they said this, I should have said that. And, and, you know, I didn't even say that verse. And, 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 and we just go all in our, and don't put too much on yourself. We have to realize we're to preach. It's people obey, but it's God that saves. We have to understand that. We're not saving people. So we, we, we can do this. You have everything you need to do it. Don't try to think that you need something beyond this. If God has given you some responsibility beyond what you're required, how many people rejected Jesus? How many people rejected Paul? How many people you think are going to reject what we say? But they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting God. You see, it is the Lord that adds to the church. We know those verses, Acts 2 and verse 47, 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. Remember Paul said, I have transferred myself and Apollos that you may know not to think above but think of men rather above that which is written. Don't think of ourselves above that which is written. We must make evangelism personal. When Jesus says, go. He's not talking about the church, the local church. Go, go local church. Go, get out there, local church. He's talking to us. We have to make it personal. It has to be personal for us. You know, oftentimes when somebody takes something personal or becomes personal to them, you'll see them the most zealous. We have to take it personal. Or we must make it personal. I'm sorry. In Isaiah 6 and verse number 8, remember the prophet said, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here I am. Send me. We sing that song with that verse in it. Here, send me. Do we really mean it? Do we really mean it? We must realize that we have been given the authority, the responsibility, and the commission to proclaim God's grace. That's what we've been given. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Now consider again, just go back and remember what we noted in Psalms 107. And notice what the Apostle Peter says about this responsibility, this authority, this commission. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 10. I'm sorry, uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Let me start with, uh, I'll start with 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Now watch this, watch this. That you, or ye, show forth the praises of him that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained it. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from flesh and lust, which war against the soul. We have the responsibility, we have the authority, responsibility, commission to show people the difference between darkness and light. That you cannot have been or once been a people, but now through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can be the people of God. He called me out of darkness into his marvelous light, and he can call you as well. You see, we have that responsibility. Paul <coughs> made evangelism personal. Look at Acts 17 with me, verses 16 and 18. Acts 17. <coughs> Acts 17. Verses 16 through verse 18. Paul is in Athens. He's waiting. And notice what happens. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, and of course Silas and Timothy, as he waited for them in Athens, his spirit was stirred in him. When he 
saw the city wholly given over, fully given over to idolatry. Therefore, as a result of him seeing this, he disputed, uh, disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the marketplace daily with them that met him. You see, Paul took, or, or made, I'm sorry, it personal. Paul was sitting there in Athens waiting for Silas and Timothy, and he saw all of this, and Paul got personal. And as a result, he began to proclaim the gospel. And of course, you know the rest of the, uh, uh, of the chapter. Uh, he proclaimed God so powerfully, eloquently, taking the Gentiles who really didn't know God to the unknown God they had this altar and inscription. And Paul declared unto them, Him, to the God that you ignorantly worship, Him declare I unto you. Paul made it personal. We need to make it personal as well. We have to. It's not some 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 cosmetic, some some undetached thing that we're doing. No, it needs to become personal. When we see people, do we see flesh and blood or do we see a soul that is in desperate need of salvation? Or do we just see the guy around the corner? What do we see? How are we thinking? That's the key. Not only must we make evangelism personal, dare we say we must not take evangelism personal. There's a difference. You know, you think about those who rejected the gospel, rejected God's message. Who were they ultimately rejecting? They were rejecting God. We have to remember this. See, we can't take it personal. It's oftentimes we don't evangelize, we don't think evangelistic, evangelistically because we're so tired of people assaulting us and insulting us and, and talking about us and, and, and derating us and, and speaking so... And all we're trying to do is show them love. Oh, look, you mad. All I'm trying to do is help you get to heaven. What are you mad at me for? Forget you then. Mm. Got to be careful, don't we? Oh, we have to guard ourselves. Samuel, first Samuel he said, they weren't rejecting Samuel, rejecting God. In John 15, verses 18 through 20, note the words of Jesus. John 15, verses 18 through, uh, through 20. We must not take it personally. John 15, verses 18 through 20. If the world hates you, now he's talking to his apostles. If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept by my word, by my saying rather, they will keep yours also. They're not, they're, look, they, they, they persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. You're not above me. You're the servant. You're not above your master. Whatever they've done to me, they're going to do to you. Now understand, the apostles in the book of Acts were all, they were the ones who were called witnesses. The word witness actually is the word martos. It's where we get our word martyr from. In other words, the apostles knew that they had a sense to death. They knew they had a sense of death. They knew the world was going to hate them. Beloved, the question is, do we know the world's going to hate us? And if we realize this fact, if we realize this truth, we'll be prepared for it. And there's nothing like preparation. Oftentimes we can get caught off, guard, uh, caught off guard if we're not thinking evangelistically. If we're not thinking that we are not of the world, and the world is not supposed to love us. And by the way, as a side note, stop trying to get it to love you. It shouldn't love you. Not if you're a Christian. And you're serving the Lord. The world's going to hate you. <coughs> and it's supposed to. 
The Apostle Paul says this is the token of the righteous judgment of God, the persecution that the Thessalonians were going through. It was a sign. It was a token of the righteous judgment of God. Light cannot dwell with darkness. They don't get along. They're not in agreement with one another. We have to remember that. David. <laughs> David. Wonderful example in Psalm 69, verses 1 through 12. I'll leave that to you read. We must not be deceived by the process of rejection. <coughs> we cannot have a deflated enthusiasm. We have to realize that there's a process. Have you ever seen Christians who obey the gospel? I mean, you find they're very enthusiastic. Uh, enthusiastic. You, you know, they're, they're on fire. And then you can have the process of anger. Then there's the process of denial. When you're studying with somebody, please notice, they're going to love for you to study. Oh, man, when they first, oh, that, this is great. This is wonderful. I, I've never known the Bible to come alive the way it is since we've been studying. They're going to have great enthusiasm. But notice that enthusiasm is going to transition itself. See, as you get closer to home, they're going to start to get angry. And they're going to start to look at you crazy. Because they know what you're saying. And that anger is going to turn to denial. They're going to say, well, now, wait a minute now. Wait a minute. I, that doesn't apply to me. And, and understand, I'm not like that. And, you know, when I study with people, and, and Brother Steve, I know you've encountered it as well. You know, oftentimes you, you see what people believe and you write it down. You know, what do you believe about this? And oftentimes, my wife will tell you, I, I get them to look at it. Now, could you do, we're not signing something, but could you just kind of initial that for me? Okay, but but why? Well, I'm just, I'm just, these are your beliefs, right? This is what you said. Okay, is that correct? Did I represent it? Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. Okay, you just initial that for me. And I'll put it away. But you know what's going to happen when it starts getting close? I didn't say that. No, 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 no. What I meant was, what I meant was, oh, no, no. You see, you misunderstood what I was saying. No, no. Oh, I have been baptized. Yeah, yeah, when I was three years old. And just going down the list. But see, didn't you pull that list out? <coughs> didn't you say that? You see, they're going to deny. They're going to start bargaining. Well, you know, okay, well, what if? Or, or, you know, let's just say I did. No, no, no. Then there's going to be this depression. I'm lost. One or two things that happen. Then it's going to be happening. Nah, well, I don't care. It is what it is, you know. It is what it is. Have you ever asked somebody if, they, if, if you die today, what do you think you go? Well, I think I go to hell. Do they really believe that? Seriously. How many times have you heard people say, just give me a show of hands? How many times have you heard somebody say that? Amen. What do you think you're. Oh, I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to hell. You didn't try to show them, look, Jesus didn't want you to go to hell. I don't believe they really believe that. Hey, man, there's a bomb under your car. Here's the evidence. I took a picture of it. Oh, yeah, I know if I go out there, I'm going to die. Well, let me go crank the car. <laughs> Nobody does that. They'll stay I believe a person, if they believe a door was in, uh, a bomb was at their door, and let's just say they had no cell phone, windows were locked, pride shut, those people would stay in that house probably for the rest of their life before they would open that door. But yet they'll go on with their life. If they believe they're going to hell, they don't believe it. And we need to realize that. So either they're going to have apathy or obedience. We cannot become as, uh, we cannot rather become as they become because rather of them. We can't become them. We can't start empathizing. We have a bad tendency to let people off the hook, don't we? You ever been studying with somebody and you ask a question and you just, I would encourage you, when you ask the question, sit there and wait for the answer. And what happens when they don't have the answer? They start, what do we do? Dun, 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 dun. We're going to come into the rescue. Now, here's what I know. I, I, like, I know. Mm -hmm. We want to save them from their own embarrassment. That embarrassment is needed. Don't, 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 don't try to become as they are and try to relate to that, to save them from that. Then finally, we must pray, read, and share. Beloved, we must pray. 
when we are thinking evangelistically, we realize these things are going to encompass us. And in Acts chapter 4, notice what happened when people rejected the words of the apostles, the word of Christ. In Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse number 23, when they had been commanded not to preach in the name of Jesus Christ about the authority of Christ, they were let go. And notice, and being let go, they went into their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their, uh, their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God who has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together. Everybody was accounted. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatening, and grant unto thy servants that with boldness they may speak thy word. We have to be prayerful if we're going to be evangelistic. And if we think, if we're thinking evangelistically, we will, we will be thinking prayerfully. We have to read, study to show yourselves, and give diligence to show yourself to prove unto God a work in the deed and not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Sometimes our lack of confidence is because of our lack of knowledge. <coughs> and beloved, remember those who are unskillful in the world, uh, in the word of righteousness, as the Hebrew writer says. Why? It's because they have not used, used the word to be able to discern good and evil. And then finally, we have to share. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll conclude our lesson with this. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We have to share. What good is something that is so valuable, such a great treasure, we keep it to ourselves? In 1 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 10, Paul says this to Timothy. For I am now ready to be offered. My pages are stuck here tonight. I apologize about that. But Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 16. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather to godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having a promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by, the, uh, by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the Presbyterian. Meditate on these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto the doctrine, unto thyself, I'm sorry, into the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing so, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. <coughs> Beloved, it is no, of no value for us to hold on to this great treasure, the gospel of Christ, to ourselves. Now, where does it begin? Well, we have to think evangelistic and we have to realize the things that we've spoken of and more so we can prepare ourselves to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ beloved the more people that hear the gospel of Christ is the more people that will obey it now please understand not everybody's going to obey it but they most certainly won't obey it if we don't preach it 
God has not given the responsibility of evangelism to any other people than Christians, members of the church of Christ, members of the body of Christ, as we saw the church of God. We have the responsibility to preach the gospel. Nobody else has that responsibility. It's not been given to an organization. It's not been given to any of those things or any of those people. But we have been given that responsibility. And please know this. It is a wonderful thing to be able to share and to show people the hope that you have, that you are sure of. So where does it begin? It begins with our heart. And as we think, so we are. So if we think evangelistically, we best believe we will be evangelistic. And so I do hope that we'll begin to, to change our heart. If it needs changing, now if you're already evangelistic, thank God for you. But we all, I'm sure, have room for improvement. We can always do better. Let that be a part of our everyday thinking to help those lost souls see the truth. If you're here today and you're not a child of God, yes, Christianity entails a great responsibility, but it's a wonderful responsibility. I love being a husband and a father and all the responsibilities that come with it. It's a great and wonderful thing. Now, we do realize that as, as Christians, we have the responsibility, as we've talked about today, but I'm telling you, that responsibility is not yours if you're not a Christian. Really, you don't have the authority nor do you have the responsibility or nor have you been commissioned to proclaim the gospel of Christ if you're not a Christian. Now, you may think you do, and you may run around acting like you are, but in the end, at the day of judgment, God, God knows. You may have fooled yourself into believing you're a Christian. You may have said, well, you know, like I talked about Sunday, well, I was baptized in such and such a place for such and such a reason, and I have fooled myself. And to believe in that I'm a, a member of the body of Christ. Oh, that's me. Well, when it comes to the day of judgment, guess who we have not fooled? And that's Jesus Christ. <coughs> and so we need to make our calling and election sure. And so right now, I mean, we're, you know, okay, you're going telling people about Jesus, but you don't represent it. Why not do what the Bible says so you can be a proper person to represent the gospel of Christ? I encourage you to do that. That's done by faith, repenting of all sin, confessing Christ before men, and being baptized. For the mission of your sin, knowing and with the hope that you're going to be added to the body of Christ, the church of Christ, there you enjoin yourself to a group of people in which you serve God faithfully all the remaining days of your life, who love one another, and is willing to do everything and anything according to God's will for us to be having together. But as we say, God knows that you are infallible, and that you're going to sin. But thank God we have the blood of the Son, Jesus Christ, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we can help you in that endeavor tonight, we encourage you to come as we stand and as we sing.